0: Assalamu alaikum wa, wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Qalam Podcast. You're listening to the series on the sufficient answer, the cures for spiritual sicknesses, delivered by Sheikh Mikail Smith. In this series, Sheikh Mikail will be covering a beautiful book authored by Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah taala, titled Al Jawab Al Kafi, in which he not only addresses the very common yet ...extremely difficult issues of spirituality, but he also addresses the philosophical crises that people suffer through. Sheikh Mikael will lead us through this book and bring forth very beautiful and beneficial discussions. So listen in, share with family and friends. And if you are benefiting from Qalam and everything that we provide here at the podcast and beyond then please be a part of this solution. Be a part of this project of educating all of humanity by going to supportqalam.com. Support Qalam yourself and also share the link with family and friends. And now on to the lesson.
1: Okay, inshallah. Should be ready to go now, inshallah. Okay, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil alameen. Uh, والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا مولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم إننا سألك حبك وحب من يحبك وحب عمل يقربنا إلى حبك يا رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم So we're continuing inshallah with our third class of Ibn Qayyim al The Sufficient Answer al-Jawab al-Kafi in which uh, Imam Ibn Qayyim al rahimahullah is replying to a question that came to him regarding someone who's stuck in a deep sin. Uh, And this person knows that the sin is very uh, detrimental to their faith, their iman, their hereafter, and their worldly life. They know it's very detrimental to them. So they are writing this letter, this question actually, to Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi to ask him, what's the way out of this this sin? How do I get out of this sin completely? Um, And the first thing that we learned previously is he spoke about how... That for every sickness, there's a cure for that. And then he spoke about the power of dua, and he spoke about how to make dua, and how to use dua as a key means by which you remove calamities from your life, hardships, whether they be spiritual, physical, real uh, uh, physical calamities, whatever type of calamity it is, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi is saying, use dua as, that type, as a means to remove those hardships. Um, so now before we move on to the next section, um, in section 8, he speaks a bit more about a possible objection that may come in someone's mind regarding using dua to remove calamities. Um, so what he says is, he says, "Huna su'al mashhur. He says, now this is the end of the section on dua, right before he moves on to the next thing. He says, Huna, at this point, there's a really famous question that a lot of people ask. He says, Very interesting question. He says that, you know, some people say that the thing that I'm making dua for, if that thing is mukadir, if that thing is written for me to have. Then I'm going to have that thing regardless of whether I make dua for that thing or I don't make dua for that thing. It doesn't matter. Whether I make dua or don't make dua, that thing is coming. So, what's the point of making dua? So, Ibn Qayyim al Jawzi rahimahullah, he says normally there are three different types of people that, uh, that respond to this, this or come up with this type of question. He says, he says, one group think that this question is sahih. It's a good question. And, فَتَرَكَتْ du'a. That group, they just give up dua. وَقَالَتْ لَا فيه. And that group says, you know what? There is no point of making dua. Because if it was written for me, it's going to come anyway. And if it's not written, it's not going to come. So there's no point in me making dua. He says, jahlihim جَهْلِهِمْ وَضَلَالِهِمْ He says, the interesting thing about these people is, in spite of the immense ignorance that they have and how off the track they are, he says they're actually pretty hypocritical in reality if you look at it. Who are these people? These are the ones who do what? Remember, they said, if it's written for me, it should come to me whether I make dua for it or not. So he says, in reality, not only is this ignorant, but it's also these people are hypocritical in the way they are. And how so? He says, He says, the way they're thinking, every type of subab. Now, subab is a word we're going to use a lot. And I want to explain what subab is. Sabab is a means for anything. It's a means for something. It's the the cause. The subab. So what he says, he says, if these people truly felt that whatever I was going to make du'a for, is already, it's either muqaddar written for me or not written for me, so my du'a doesn't matter. If these people really thought like that, then this should necessitate that they give up all types of causes to any uh, outcome. All types of asbab we say, sabab. So he says, for example, he goes, فَيُقَالُ him. <لِأَحَدِهِم> he says, so you say to one of them, kana qad He's like, okay, if the feeling of satiation, to be full in your stomach, the feeling of satiation is written for you, it'll come no matter what, whether you eat or don't eat. The feeling of quenched thirst, whether it's written for you or not written for you, whether you eat or drink, it should come. So why don't you stop eating? Why don't you stop drinking? They won't ever do that. So this is why he's saying, he's like, what they're saying doesn't actually fit on how they actually live their lives. Like I just said, he said, if they're written for you, then they would come whether you eat or you don't eat. He says, He says, Does does anyone actually say this in this realm that whether I want to eat or not, if it's written for me to feel satiated, it's going to come? Whether it's written for me to be nourished, it's going to come whether I eat or not. He says, no one says this. He says, el hayawan el bahim, alamubashiratil asbab." He says, even the animals, they have a fitrah. They have a natural fitrah inside them, a natural disposition inside them that they understand that whatever it is I need, I have to take the correct sabab, the correct asbab, the correct means in order for me to actually get that thing that I want. He says, قَوَامِ uh, هَوَاتِي He says, a'qal wa afham min He says the Hayawan have better understanding than these people who say this because they don't actually live by this. And then he says, now there's another group. There's another group. He explains a few more groups, and he says, there's another group. He says there's another group of people regarding dua who are a bit more intelligent than the first group. بل, they say, These people say, no, no, no. Dua is actually, when a person makes dua, it's an alama, it's like a flag. To let a person know that the haja that they are making du'a for is going to be taken care of. Now, this actually seems pretty legit. Like, oh wow, that seems interesting. But he goes, nah, that's not it either. He says, these people say, for example, they say, The same way good deeds are a sign of reward. And kufr and maasi disbelief in and evil deeds are a sign of the punishment of Allah, and so on and so forth. And he says, "La annaha asbab lahu. These people don't say that the dua is a subab. What was the subab again, Ahmed? What was the subab? You don't count. You're a student here. What was the subab? It was a cause. It's very important to know this word because it's going to come quite a bit. The subab. This word is going to come quite a bit. Um, so again, the subab is the cause or the means by which, right? The means by which. In um, some uh, classical Arabic and the Quran, it's used like a rope. The subab is like a rope. Right? Let them stretch a rope or a rope to the heavens. Because the rope is a means to something else. So he says, what does this second group say? That when a person makes dua, it's simply a sign that they're. Haja, their need is about to be fulfilled. For him inshallah? Okay, next group. He said, Wassawab. Remember the original question. We're talking about du'a. The original question was what? Why do I make du'a? If it's written, it's going to come. If it's not written, it's not going to come. Look what he says. What sawab? qismun this is what you have to understand. Whatever is written for you, it's written for you with the means by which it's going to come. Whatever is written for you in your taqdeer, in your destiny, in your fate, whatever is لك, written for you, that thing comes to you and is written for you with the sabab, the means by which it's going to come. Not mujarrid, not. Uh, without that means by which it's going to come. Now he says, and one of the means by which it comes is the dua itself. So, ata al-abd sabab al When the person does the thing that is the means, that takdir that is written for him comes or her, it comes. But whenever you don't have the subab, you don't do the subab, then that thing which is written doesn't come. He's like same way. The first example he used, that if a person wants the feeling of satiation, that is going to be written for you or not written, but it's also written with akal and drinking, eating and drinking. So the, the sub of for your satiation is that you eat. And the eating is the subob for it. So that is written with the thing that is part of your destiny. The sub, the means is written with it. So now he says, um, and he says sim- uh, similar, Husul Like the, the 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 vegetation or the crops that come are written by the seed. And the seed is the subab, it's what you plant. So then he says, um, he says, similarly, your entering into Jannah is مُقَدِّر with the suburb for it, which is what? Your actions. So the actions are also given to you for that thing that is مَقْدُور uh, written for you because that is the means by which you get that thing. So then he says, now check this, this is where he brings it home. He says, فَهِينَ إِذِنْ now that you understand that part, fad'a min أَقْوَى al-asbab. Back to the main point. Dua is one of the strongest subabs, one of the strongest ropes by which you pull what you want. It's the strongest means. He says, كَمَا لَا يُقَالْ لَا فِي وَالْشَرْبِ He says, once you realize that the thing that is maqdur, written for you, is written with the means also, then it makes no sense to say what's the benefit of dua. Because then you realize that the benefit of dua is just like the benefit of eating. That the feeling comes through that, just the same way the dua is written with the sabab as well. And he says, this understanding was the understanding of the sahaba. This understanding was the understanding of the sahaba. He's like when the, since the sahaba had the deepest understanding of the deen, and of course, they had the deepest understanding because they were with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi It's like you guys listening to this lecture right now, and then someone, you know, next week hearing about this lecture and they're going to try to tell you what we talked about. you are like, nah, I was there. Like, I saw his facial expressions. I saw Qasim come and knock that thing over. Like, I saw it with my own eyes. Like, the one witnessing, khabru news is not like seeing. So Sahaba had the deepest understanding of deen. This is why a key part of our deen is, Aminu kama aman have faith the way those people had faith. So we really should study their lives and know who they are because they set that role model for you, right? And when you study, you see people that went through and go, went through exactly what you go through. So he says, he says, when you understand that, you see that they understood uh, كانوا uh, 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 أقواموا sabab. They were the first to jump on this means, dua because they understood how important it was. And he says, وَكَانَا khattab and he would say subhanallah umar bin khattab if it was a time for war he would gather everyone and he would be like listen up he would say to them lestum he's like all these numbers here aren't going to do anything for us the nusra the, the, the help is coming from sama meaning turn to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's where the subab comes from that dua وَكَانَ يَقُولُ and he used to say inni la ahmilu hamma ijaba ma'ahu la ahmilu ahmil ijaba ma'ahu walakin hamma dua fa idha ulhimtum dua he's like i don't worry about acceptance now this is something that is a big relief for us a lot of our stress comes because we are always trying to look for the outcome of things we always want the outcome it's supposed to go out this way it's supposed to turn out this way you know we you know bake a cake something cook something Do you cook you don't cook okay grilled cheese even grilled cheese right and you want it to come out the way it's supposed to come out right okay but sometimes it doesn't right just follow the steps in the recipe all we are accountable for is the means yo the outcome is left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah, when that really sits in your heart, it takes so much stress off of you. Stress is a natural part of life. We learn that from Quran and Sunnah. But there's certain stresses that are not supposed to be on you. There are certain worries and stress that aren't supposed to be on you. Stress is natural, but certain ones are not supposed to be there. And one of them is the the if, the the effect not the ca- the cause the sabab is your worry like i'm supposed to try and cook the grilled cheese the right way to do the recipe but if something happens and it doesn't come out play left that to allah because that outcome wasn't up to me so here what umar bin khattab says right here he says i'm not worried about acceptance i don't worry about the dua being accepted i'm worried about Whether we get the tawfiq or the enablement to actually make the du'a. Because he says, once I make the du'a, I already know what's next. If Allah gives me the ability to sit there and go, ya Allah, then I know what's happening next. But what I'm really worried about is sometimes he won't even give me that tawfiq to sit there and go, ya Allah. Everyone understand this point? It's a very beautiful point. And he he narrates a poem. He says, Wa He says one of the poets, they understood this and they wrote, "lam." ma arju atlubu, wa atlubu, ma He says the poem says, If it wasn't that you were going to get me, give me what I'm seeking from your hands, your your hands of generosity, you would have not given me the ability to ask for it in the first place the fact that he simply gives you the ability to ask for it is a sign that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give you that thing tayeb and then he gives us a few ayahs he says ud'uuni astajib lakum wa sa'ala ka ibadi ani fa-inni qareeb ujiba da'wat ad-da'i da'an and then he says one hadith the rasul sallallahu wasallam he said man lam yas'al allah yaghzab the one who doesn't ask Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets upset. You know, I remember very clearly when my teacher taught me this hadith, he gave a really a good example that really stuck with me. And perhaps it will resonate with you. Um, this hadith says, the one who doesn't ask Allah, Allah gets angry with him. And he said, you know, imagine you walk into a store. You're walking into, well, we got Kroger down here, right? Imagine you walking into Kroger, right? And... Um, Imagine you have children. I know everyone, most people here don't have children, so just imagine. And and at the front door, you see your son or daughter with a, with, a, with a, a, a you know something asking for handouts of people. And this son or daughter of yours, you have a lot of wealth. You're loaded. You saved up. You have a lot, and you don't even you'll give to any. You're generous. You're not holding anything back. But in spite of that, as you walk into Kroger. You see your own beloved son or daughter, flesh and blood. You have a, so much money, so much wealth. You walk in and you see them standing there begging the people. What type of anger would you feel that I have? I love you. I'm not holding back. But you don't ask. Why don't you just ask me? Why are you begging from all of these people? He's like, imagine the feeling you would have. You have it. You, you want to give it to it. Give it to them. But they just didn't even ask you. They just immediately went and started begging from people. He said, وَلِلَّهِ The best example is for Allah, but similarly is the case. Similarly, you have it, you want to give it, but they're just not asking. So this was the example my teacher gave me and it stuck with me for many years. Perhaps it will resonate with you, inshallah ta'ala. Okay, so now, what is the author explaining now? He's done with dua. The section on dua is done. And remember now, he's trying to help this per- person solve the problem that they have. He's trying to help the person solve the problem that they have in the sin that they're stuck in. So now listen to what he says next. Because he's moving forward now. Dua is finished. He says, <laughs> من أعظم الأسباب الجالب لكل خير Listen closely He says Our intellect أقل Tells us نقل Quran Sunnah From the prophets Tells us Our fitrah Our natural disposition Inside of us Tells us And our experiential knowledge Of historic history Tells us That The primary means by which you can bring khair into your life, good into your life, is by what? He says, By attempting to get close to Allah, by seeking out His pleasure, seeking out how to please Allah, by doing righteousness and doing good to the creation of God, to the creation of Allah, doing good to them. These are the means by which the, the strongest means by which you bring khair into you, into your life. And then he says, أكتري, And the exact opposite is the primary means by which you bring evil and hardship, into your life. So he says there's no way to, to bring good or push away evil like the obedience to qarrab and, and, and righteousness to the creation of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and now he goes forward and explains. If you look throughout the Quran, you will constantly see that Allah subhanahu wa taala subhanahu al fi dunya akhirah wa husool al shurur fi dunya akhirah al a'mal. al So here, and this kind of sets the premise for the rest of the book. To be honest, he says. If you look throughout the Quran, you'll see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always rataba, a, created a, a, a consequential, consequential relationship between the actions that you do and bringing good or evil into your life. If you look all throughout the Quran, you'll see this consequential cause and effect, sabab musabab relationship between bringing khair into your life and bir Ihsan ila khalk, and so on and so forth. All of these righteous things that we said. And then he gives so many examples. He says there's over a thousand examples in the Qur'an. And he just gives he gives a few of them. He says, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, When they forgot us, then our, our revenge came upon them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. And then he gives another verse, إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ all the way to where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says lahum ta wa Those who are righteous, those who are fasting, those who are patient, those who give sadaqah, those who submit, those who have fear of Allah What? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who protect their chastity, those who remember Allah These actions connected to what? husul al khair Another example, I'm not going to read all of them because it, it gets long, I'm just going to read a few of them In tatakullah yaja'allakum furqana if you have the awareness of Allah, Allah will give you inside of your heart furqan. Furqan is a cri- criterion by which you can recognize good and bad. And we'll talk about that a lot more later on in the book, inshallah taala. So all he's saying, all he's saying, I'll give you another one. Allah subhanahu wa taala says, uh, Allah says, if they had stayed on, if they just stayed on the straight path. path we would have caused rain to fall on them abundantly. Rain is symbolic for, you know, khayr um, and vegetation and, you know, a uh, good, right? Wealth. So over and over, over and over again, what is he trying to tell us? Pay attention to this. All he's trying to tell us at this point is hey, listen, brother or sister, you're stuck in a sin. Let me tell you something. The primary way for you to bring khair into you is to do khair. Allah has created this world in a, in a way where it's, where it's الإحسان? إلا الإحسان. Is the reward for good anything other than good? That's the way He created it. The whole world is created in a way where if this happens, this is what comes out of it. So He's, he's empowering us and saying, hey... You're not a victim to sharr. But you have to take responsibility for your actions and realize that you can start the cycle of good coming to you by beginning with good. That's what he's trying to highlight here. Okay? إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا قَوْمَ فَأَغْرَقَنَاهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ The outcome of them being drowned. Why? إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا قَوْمَ They were an evil nation. He's just trying to show you jaza and sharrt. The cause and effect, so he says. But listen to this. I'm not. Going, I skipped all of them because it would have been long. But he says. He says in summary, the Quran from the beginning to the end, sarih is very very explicit. That he, he he creates in the Quran a consequential relationship between a good reward, a good outcome, and the means by which you take, the actions by which you do. And he says, Whoever really, really understands this, that the good in my life, I'm responsible for it. The good that happens in my life, I'm responsible. وتعملها, and really like thinks about it. The one who tafakkaha understands it and really thinks about it, hakkat ta'amal in true depth, in he'll have a he or she will have a lot of benefit. Gaya Like the, the most uh, the, the perfect timing, brother. I was literally like, I could use like something to drink. And like alhamdulillah, this brother walked in at the right time. Jazakullah khair no class today. Are you skipping? Okay, he skipped class. Masha'Allah. May Allah put barakah in this knowledge for you, inshallah. If it was philosophy class, then don't worry. It's good you skipped it, inshallah. Yes, I know it was philosophy class. It's better you're here, inshallah. Don't worry, you'll still pass. Don't worry. We'll make dua for you, inshallah. (laughs) Okay, so listen to what he says. He says, whoever understands this, whoever understands that you are responsible... This person will have extreme benefit in their life. And the reason is because you start to take ownership. You start to take ownership for what's going on in your life. And you realize that I'm not just a victim of, of, of chance. But I can take ownership for what happens. And when I start to do khair, when I start to do good, that's when good will come to me. So he says, وَلَمْ <laughs> al You know what happens? Some people they just say, oh, whatever's written for me is going to happen anyway. You won't do that once you understand that it starts with me. And he says, وَتَفْرِيتًا and Wasting their time and oh I can't do it. If it's written for me it's going to happen anyway. No. It's the complete opposite way of thinking. It's up to me. And he goes forward uh, and explains that. He says, uh, كُلُّهُمْ sa'una فِي الْقَدْرِ بِالْقَدْرِ He says, this is how you fight qadr with qadr. He says, al qadr with qadr. What does that mean? Like fight what is written by what is written. Z- Zainab understands. Fight what is written by what is written. Once you realize that what is written also comes with the action, then you start to fight what is written with what is written. Okay, this is written for me. I'm going to work for it. I'm going to make what's written for me. I'm going to make what's written for me. Not just take what's written for me. Beautiful. He says, okay, now here we go. He's like, this is one of the most important lessons I as a teacher can teach you. That you are in control of your destiny. You are. That's heavy. That's heavy. Subhanallah. It's heavy, subhanallah. I wasn't going to say the, the punchline, but it's heavy. It's very heavy, Subhanallah. He says, however, there's two things. Is it hot? Muhammad is hot. It's a little warm. Thank you so much, man. He He uh, says, He says, He says, There's two things I got to tell you though. wa He's like, alright, I told you that part, right? But there's two things I got to let you know. What is the main point up till now? That you are in control, the actions you do affect the outcome of Khair and shar to you. He's like, but there's two important things I got to teach you. And we're only going to get, we won't complete the second one today. We'll get through one completely, and the second one we might get to the end of it. The first thing. <speaking in Hebrew> you need to know in detail the means by which you bring kheir, and the means by which evil comes to you as well. So, so basically, like I, we told you that the actions you do bring good or evil. But now you have to actually learn the effects of certain actions and the details of what brings good and what brings negativity and evil to you. So you have to be taught that, actually. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know now. I know. Okay, I'm in control. But then I go out and do something, I don't really know if that action, what effect it had because I don't know if that action was a means for good or a means for not for good. Do you, do you get what I'm saying by this? So he says the first thing is you need knowledge. You need to You need to know the details of how to bring good and how to, how to, what brings good and what brings evil. Put it that way. basira tan fi dalika. And you need to have basira bima yushahidu fil alam. He's like, you need, to, you need to have deep basira. Basira is insight. You know, like insight, when you really know someone or something, you can like almost predict how outcomes are going to come. What's going to happen, right? And that's because of your experiential and deep knowledge about certain psychological things or certain, um, whatever it may be in your fields or whatever you experience and deal with a lot. You can, as a teacher, I may be able to like, yeah, I can tell the te- students are going to do very well and the students is not going. Why? Just because I'm a teacher and I've seen so many students that I'm like, yeah, I, I can tell already, right? That's just because of my experiential knowledge, right? But that knowledge, that, that insight is called basira in Arabic, right? So he says, you need to learn this so that you gain an experiential uh, knowledge. And, and how will you get that? fil alam By what you see in the world. When you see things, you'll be able to say... That right there is going to be bad for our country. That right there is going to be good for our family. That right there will bring khair into our family. That right there will be harmful for me. You'll have detailed understanding of what will bring what to you. So by what you see in the world, what you experience in your own self, and what you hear from the pre- what you learn historically. So you'll be able to learn all of this through all of these means by what you see in the world, by what you see happening and t- transpiring within yourself, and, and by what you read from the previous nations. Um, and by the way, I would say, Nafsihi. those people who are older, you know how they got the saying, old is gold? I'm saying old is gold. Because old, when you have age, you got experience. You got experience. And you've seen the outcome of so many situations that you could call it before it happens. So sometimes you talk to your grandma and you explain something to them, and, and, and even yo, even non-Muslim, like it doesn't matter. Experience is experience. Experience is experience, and you tell them they're like, Nah, don't do that. She's not good for you, Isa. Right? She's not good for you. He's not good for you. That job's not good for you. That school's not good for you. And you're like, you know, Nani, Daddy, Grandma. I don't know what you call them, right? It's like, how do you know? But just trust me. I know. Right? So that, that experiential knowledge is powerful. It gives basira. It gives you an understanding. Now, he says, listen closely. Now, we're in the first one. What is the first one? To actually know which things cause what. How come the the T ain't being passed, yo? What's going on, bro? No, like no, you're good. You're good. I just reminded you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Insha'Allah, Bismillah. Okay, so he says, anfa ma al-Quran." How are you going to learn what brings good and what brings evil? Number one, he says, "Woman, anfa, woman, anfa." JazakAllah <laughs> khair, JazakAllah khair Is anyone here older? Anyone older than me? I want to kabir. I want to give it to the older one. Now, yeah, come on, yo. I'm trying to see who matches me. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm just gonna take. Yo, this is too much. You got enough for everyone? You sure? Huh? Okay, Bismillah. All right. No, they won't. I just said old is gold, right? How are they going to be offended when we just honored them and, and. You know what I'm saying? Subhanallah. The best way to find the means of what's bringing good to you and what will bring evil to you is to double the Quran, number one, he says. The whole point of the Quran is to bring that knowledge to you. That's the whole purpose. The whole purpose is to let you know the asbab in the means of khair, and the means of thing that will bring evil into your life. The beautiful thing is it tells you both. It tells you both. Number two, sunnah. Number two is sunnah. And, and so he says, looking at the creation, experiential knowledge, historic knowledge, studying history, Quran, and then he says the Sunnah. Uh, غيرهم Whoever just studied these two enough, well, actually, this will be a primary source for, for letting you know that. Meaning, he, first, because first he said looking at the creation, then he said experiential knowledge, then he said studying history. Like, through those three things, you can study, you know, from an anthropological uh, perspective, what brings good to people, what brought uh, uh, shirr to people. But he says, if you don't even want to study those things, and you just went through Quran and sunnah only, that's the purpose of that. And that's why it was brought to us, to give us that knowledge of what will bring good and what will uh, bring evil. Wahuma yarianika. He says it'll give you such a knowledge it'll be like you could just see it with your own eye, like you see it ahead. Of, you've studied it, you understand, so it's like you can see it with your own eye. after you study it from there, then when you study history and when you look at the world, then you Qur'an. You'll see exactly what the Quran said would bring khair to people. You'll see that throughout the creation historically and he'll say that'll increase your iman. So let me break this down. Okay, He's speaking about learning what will the means by which you bring good to you and the means by which you uh, stop bad from coming to you. And he says, if you studied from the Quran, you'll learn that. But also if you studied historically and looked at humanity in general, then you could study humanities and learn from the previous nations what were the things that were the cause of rise and the cause of fall and so on and so forth. And he says once you study it from the Quran and then look at the humanities as well, it will come together and the effect of that is an increase in iman because you're like, my Quran already told me that. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen it in the history, but I was already informed of it from the Quran. So now I see this overlap by which I increase my iman from that. So that is, um, so that's the first one, learning. Okay, y'all ready for the, any questions about this first one? Because we have to move to the second one now. And this is actually a very important one. This is the one I want to actually focus on. Okay, what I, what I like to highlight about this, to be honest, is in, 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 in modern terminologies, what I would call this is calibration of the moral compass. Calibration of a moral compass. You, you learn what brings good to you. Right? You you learn how to calibrate the moral compass based on Quran and based on Sunnah. Alright? Okay. <clears throat> Chapter number eight. Second thing. Remember he said there's two things you gotta know, right? Second thing. Al <laughs> Amurothani. You know, after you know it, right? The first thing is you got to know it. He says, but there's another thing now. He says, you have to now protect yourself from self delusion. Self delusion and self deception. Regarding these asbab. Like you've learned these sababs, you've learned the effect. Let's, um, let's give a practical example, okay? You've learned hasad, right? What is hasad? Does anyone know any hadith about the effect of hasad, jealousy? Just off the top of your head. About the effect of it. What does it do? Anyone know a hadith? Huh? It can kill. There's a specific hadith about the effect of it on you. Uh, definitely, that's there. I don't know a hadith about that specifically. It, it, there's a hadith that says it eats up your good deeds. It eats up, you become a hater basically. Hasid is a hater, it's just a hater, right? But now here's the deal. Right now we all gain that knowledge, Hasid, right? We all gain the knowledge. We study like the whole chapter of Ghazali on Hasid, right? We spend like three weeks studying Hasid, how it affects you and this and that. And I was like, man, Hasid's horrible. It destroys you. You can't see Khair anywhere. Anytime someone blesses, some, Allah blesses someone, it hurts you more. So all of Allah's blessings are a source of pain for you. SubhanAllah, what could be worse? Right? But here's the problem. What happens when you get hit with hasad? What happens? Like, you? no, not the victim of it. You have it. What happens? ala al-asbab. The nafs doesn't recognize it in itself. And it starts to self-rationalize my hasad, right? I already know what hasad, how bad it is, how evil it is. But when it's inside myself and it's me, the nafs just like, nah, she just shady. You ain't jealous. Like the nafs is just like, nah, he just, whatever. Like, nah. <laughs> the nafs, so the point he's trying to make here is so important. It's like one is you have knowledge. The next thing is that you don't allow yourself to delude you about those asbabs. And that's very difficult. That's the harder one to do. That's the harder one. So he says, now how does this happen? And now we know, subhanAllah, we know about so many cognitive biases that exist within the human mind now. Where the human mind like sees something and it's not the way it looks. You know what I'm saying? Like you see some, Has anyone ever seen, uh, I forgot the name of it, I used to know the name of it, where you take a circle and you put all these big circles around it and then you take the very same size circle and put a bunch of little circles around it. it you could Google it real quick to find the name of that. What, what is the effect of that? The one with the big circles around it, the inner circle looks smaller. And the one with the little circles around it, the inner circle looks bigger. Just Google it. Google it. Trust me. Big circles, little circles, circle in the middle. What's it called? There's a name for it. Is it a Mandela? I can't remember. No, no, this is a specific optical illusion that happens, and your mind does not conscientiously pick up the fact that these are different sizes. Let's just quick Google. Who's the best Googler here? I, yo, this is how I Google. A right, big circle, little circle. You found a picture? Hey, inshallah, I'll find it for you guys later. Inshallah. What is it? That's it. You, can you see the picture? Okay. Can you pass the phone up here? See, he's an expert Googler. There it is. Yes, it's called. I'm not going to try to say the word. E b b i n g, h a u s illusion. Now, now, so, so, what I'm trying to point out about this is clearly if anyone looks at this picture, just in case you guys never saw it before, you can pass it around and everyone can look at it.
0: Huh?
1: It's okay, right? Sorry. (laughs) My bad. So anyone anyone who looks at the picture, immediately your mind uh, doesn't see the reality that's happening there. And the reality, for anyone who Googled it, the reality is the circles in the middle are the exact same size. Uh, But based on what surrounds that, um, it affects the, the, how you understand the situation itself. Now what's very interesting is how media uses this exact same phenomena when it comes to crimes that happen. You know how so? When, when a crime happens and the person, they want to focus less on the person, normally white male shooting, all of a sudden the circumstances around that person become bigger. And hence that person seems a little smaller. But when the one doing the shooting is, let's say, a black male or a brown male, then all of a sudden the person becomes bigger and the factors around their life, how they were troubled and this and that, become smaller. And in fact, the size is the same. They're both murderers. They're both criminals. So the reason I brought this up is because we now know so many cognitive biases that take place um, inside our minds, have you ever heard of the uh, cheerleading effect, cheerleader effect, the cognitive bias of cheerleader effect? Okay, I don't know if it's politically correct to say it, but it's in the cognitive bias codex, which is that um, one thing which doesn't look so good when placed in a group of a uh, place in a group looks a lot better. But were you to take that thing out by itself and just look at it by itself? You would see the actual how it looks. But, but placed in an effect, placed in a group, looks a lot better. You know where Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about this? Allah literally says this in the Quran. Khabith by itself doesn't. A'jabak. You don't like Khabith. But when it's a lot of Khabith, ah, it looks a lot better. Wow. Allah literally talks about that. My point here, though, what is my point? My point here is the author is telling us just knowing what is good is not going to be enough. You have to be really, really conscious about yourself and not you, uh, the self-deception of, of, no, this doesn't fit on me. I'm not doing wrong. I'm okay. Everyone understand? Um, just hold the, um, hold the power button, maybe. Do you see the power button? It should. If you just hold it for a minute. It looks like it's... I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. Ajab means no, you like it. Does it mean like pleasing? Yes. A lot of khobat will look pleasing to you. It's, It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Okay. So listen to what he says now. Is everyone with me, inshallah? Listen to what he says. He says... فهذا من أهم الأمور. This is extremely important. Don't let yourself self this this uh, uh, delude you regarding these asbab. فَإِنَّ الْأَبْيَارِفُ Listen, a person will know that أنَّ al والْغَفْلَةَ من أسباب له في الدنيا والآخرة ولا بد. A person will know that this certain sabab is a means for my hardship and harm in this world and the next world. وَلَكِنْ نَفْسِ But his nafs kind of just confuses him on the issue regarding himself. How so? Here's a few ways. Here's a few ways. Write these down. Number one, بِإِتِّكَالَ عَلَىٰ I tell you, oh, just trust Allah's forgiveness. Trust Allah's forgiveness. You're good. Just trust Allah's forgiveness. You know this sin. This thing is a means by which Allah is angry with you. But... The nafs says, no, 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 no. It gets you out of that. Next one. He says, He says, He says, by procrastinating you with toba and istighfar. Making you procrastinate, oh, later. You're good right now, just do it later. Just do toba later. So you know it's wrong. You know it's going to hurt you. You know it's harmful. But just, you know, just do toba later. Do toba later. Number three taratan. This is a tricky one. Sometimes, Shaitan and the nafs, in order to stop you from doing something better, will encourage you to do something that's desirable. It's a bit tricky one. We get to, we'll talk about it later. But like sometimes, the nafs and Shaitan will even encourage you to a good deed because by busying yourself with that good deed, you won't do something better. You know what I'm saying? miss misfajr. Right there. To Hajjit. Great, get up for it. And miss Fajr. Astaghfirullah. Well, give us tawfiq, Something else. You know what I'm saying? You're doing this, you're doing a good deed, something good. You go to a rally, you go, then you miss Asr. What? What was that? You know what I'm saying? Like that example. Another one, ilmi Through your knowledge. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. After you know then you start to play games with your, the asbab, through knowledge. Do you, do you get what I mean by this? Okay, through knowledge, you know. Oh, this is sunnah, this is mustahab, this is, oh, I don't have to do this. Oh, I, so now through knowledge, you start to self-delude your way out. He says, Bi bil Oh, relying on qadr. We talked about that. And he says, Bi <laughs> this is an interesting one, which is, you know, like, when people get to a deeper level of understanding fiqh, they try to supersede fiqh or, you know, uh, take out the root of fiqh with these qawaid, these general principles. You know, I'll give you an example. aslul ashba, aslul The basis of all things is permissibility. Now, this is a rule in sharia. Right? The basis of all things, the basic thing of everything Aslul Ibaha, So like if I find an apple on the ground, right? Like I don't have to see if it's halal. Because it's an apple. It's aslul Ibaha, It's halal naturally. Until I find out like, yo, there's like chemical pesticides on it that are haram for you. I don't know. Just making up something. I was just making up something. The the point being is that the base of it is, is thing. Now people will use that to completely take out fiqh. Like, so the ruling is like, yo, this thing you're not supposed to do. They're like, yeah, you know, aslul ashba, ashya, ibaha. The base is halal. What? What are you saying? We have a law. we have fiqh, we have hadith. So he's saying sometimes people use those things to kind of just get around what they know is wrong. You know what I'm saying? All right. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I know just what you're talking about. Sometimes it's just following our, our forefathers. Like, you know it's wrong. You'd be like, yeah, but my parents did it this way. So? So? Like, you know, did you know, like, maher and a wedding is supposed to be inexpensive, according to hadith? Yes. Did you hear the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said, the best marriage is the one that costs the least? Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, now what? The best barakah, the one that costs the least. All right, so why y'all dropping 30 grand on the marriage? Oh, because this is how we do it. What? Huh? You just said you knew. The hadith said the cheapest one brings the most barakah. That's a down payment for your house right there. And we spend it on a haul. Really? So, so sometimes we just grab to our family. And, and, and that's one way we just get out of what we know is wrong. So what he's trying to say here is that sometimes we know what's wrong, but our nafs deludes us out of that. And he just gave a few examples of that. Right? He just gave a few examples of that. Um, So there's one, and we're going to end with this one, inshallah. What time is it? Oh, we're good, yo. It's been like 40 minutes, man. Inshallah. Okay, so listen to this. This This is a very interesting one. Okay. Okay, so he says here. He says here. Let me read it to you. He says... (laughs) wa ka'tikal ala sallallahu wa sallam ana inda bi this uh, just a real known hadith it's a hadith qudsi hadith qudsi is when the prophet sallallahu tells us something that allah said and it's a very well known hadith but it's a very tricky hadith tricky in that our nafs likes to play with it the hadith is this the prophet sallallahu said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ana أنا أنا i am as my slave thinks of me i treat my servant in accordance to how he thinks of me so so think of me as good now how can this be deceiving someone yes Exactly, right? Person is stuck in a sin and he goes, Husna dan. The word is now I need you to think of two words. Husnadun. Husan means good. Husnadhan means to have a good opinion. And su adun means to have a bad opinion. Okay? Now with human beings, husna dan is you see something and you just assume the best. Right? That's husnad. And su is to assume the best. Like, you know, he just walked in, and I'm like, yo, where you been? That's my boy, so I'm just going to pick on him real quick. So I can have ad-dhan and be like, yo, he's a student of Qalam. My man was studying hard for tomorrow's quiz. Or I can have ad-dhan for no reason, right? And just have a bad opinion and make up something, right? That's my boy, I'm just picking on him, right? That's my boy, okay? Point being, so we have this concept of ad-dhan and ad-dhan. Everyone with me? Now the, the, this hadith literally tells us to have that Allah will treat you as you think of him. Right? So what Ibn, what Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi explains to us is that this is very tricky to the nafs because a person can get completely caught up in a life of disobedience and this be their hallmark hadith that Allah will treat me as I think of him. So how do we understand that? Let's look at what he explains. This is very beautiful. Very beautiful. But what I'll tell you right now is husnadhan. How did I translate husnadhan? How did we translate the word husnadhan? Good opinion. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do you know how you should translate this word husnadhan? The correct opinion and understanding of Allah. The correct, not good. The correct understanding of Allah. And you'll see why as we read forward. Okay? And we'll stop after this one. Listen to what he says. He goes, Ya'ni fi fa' Meaning Allah is saying, however you think of me, that's how I'll treat you. Listen closely. He's like, there's no doubt. And the husnad that husnadan, a correct understanding, not good. A correct understanding of Allah. إِنَّمَا يَكُونُ مَعَ الْإِحْسَانِ Comes with good deeds. <inaudible> the one who's doing good has a correct understanding of Allah, that Allah will reward me for the good that I'm doing and overlook my sins, and so on and so forth. وَلَا <inaudible> wada, He won't break his promise. التَّوْبَ <inaudible> He'll accept the tawbah. Now listen closely. Al musi al musir al the one who's sinning and is persistent on major sins. Let me explain this first and foremost. Ibn Qayyim al Jozid rahimahullah. He's not talking about the mistakes that we all make. Okay, we all sin. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a person who is musir, persistent on major sins, and keeps saying. Oh, I think of Allah as merciful, so He'll be merciful to me." This is specifically who he's talking about. Musir, persistent on a major sin, number one, and number two, he's, he or she is persistent, and with that, they're saying, "Oh, Allah is as I think of them." Now listen to what he says. He says, "AmelMusir, al-Musir al- musir al al Kabair. As for the sinner who is persistent on major sins, and oppression of people, and going against Allah. The estrangement that comes from his sins prevents him or her from having the correct opinion about his, his or her Lord. He said, I'll give you an example. Here's an example he gives. Listen to this. He gives an example of slavery because of his time that he came from, but it's a good example to get us to understand it, okay? He says, A slave that ran away, and is disobedient, and ran away from its owner, لا يحسن به. He doesn't have a good opinion, he doesn't have a good opinion of his, of his, of his master. ولا يجامي He's like, look, as he's running away, He's running away. Why? Because he knows if he catches me, he's going to uh, you know, enslave me. He's going to punish me. He's going to do this. So his action of running away shows what he really thinks and knows about his master. Look, it's very deep. It's very beautiful. His running away. The example of the person who's persistent on major sins is running away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that shows what he really or she really thinks or knows about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, he says, he says, how can this uh, I'll go forward? He says, He's like the disobedience of Allah and the estrangements that comes from your disobedience can never ever join with the correct opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's like because the person who's disobeying Allah by the uh, in a in an extreme amount, in accordance to the amount that this person is disobeying Allah, that is the amount that the person will have the a wrong understanding and a wrong done with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Go forward. He says, he says here Wa kunu bi Rabbihi anhu. Let me give an example. Let me give an example to bring this this point home. When you truly understand Allah and Allah's mercy and Allah's justice and that Allah created a world of sabab, cause and effect. The person who correctly understands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understands not only the mercy of God but also understands and believes in and knows the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Understood that point? So he knows that he has, that's why I said, husna done with Allah. Don't translate it as good opinion of Allah. Translate it as a correct opinion of Allah. Can I give you an example he gives? Listen to this beautiful story. One time, Abu Umama and Orwa bin Zubair, they went to meet Aisha. This was well after the Prophet ﷺ passed away. His name is uh, Abu Umama and Orwa bin Zubair. So Aisha when they come to meet her, Aisha radiallahu anha she says Laura atuhu tu ma Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa sallam fi maradihi." Only if you guys had seen the Prophet sai when he was passing away, when he was sick. She says what indahu sittata dinaniir aw sab'ata dinanir. He had 6 or 7 silver coins. He had 6 or 7 uh 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 Dinar gold coins. فَأَمَرَنِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم أَن أَفْرَقَهَا Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told me, he's sick, very sick, he told me, go give out these coins. Go give these out. You with me? So, وَكَانَتْ إِنْدُهُ إِنْهُ it? Did, she says, فشغلني, فَشَغَلَنِي وَجَعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم. But I got busy because he was so sick. Like I was taking care of him because he was so sick, I couldn't go do it. Then he got better, right? Because before he passed away, that's so I said him. He got better. So he got better. So he said to me, Tuma anha. He said, when he got better, he said, Hey, what did you do with those sick? Did you give them out yet? So she says, Fakultu la wallah. She goes, No, I didn't get a chance to yet. Uh, she says, kana shug, waj'ak. Your sickness kept me busy. I couldn't go do it. biha. Now listen to this. He says, Bring those coins to me. Bring them to me. So they were brought to him. He took the coins and he put them in the palm of his hand. And he said these words. Ma than He said, What would my dun of Allah, my opinion of Allah? My understanding of Allah. How bad would my dun of Allah be if I meet Allah and I still have these in my possession? Now, that may seem very, very extreme for us. But think of it this way. If I told you, Ahmed, if I told you, yo bro, we're going out tomorrow night. Leave your wallet at home. Leave your wallet at home. On the way out of the door, he thinks to himself, you know what? Just in case, I'm going to take my wallet. Right? He gets in the car. I go, uh, did you bring your wallet? Tell me the truth. He goes, yeah. I say to him, what did you think of me? What, what was your opinion about me? Did you think I would keep my word? Did you think I would forget what I said to you? That I told you don't bring your wallet? Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala promised the Rasul and promised all of us the risk for tomorrow. And the Prophet's Iman and understanding of Allah as raziq was so high that he's like, I don't want to meet Allah and have savings saved up. Because the way I know Allah is that he's raziq. Just the same way I said, leave your wallet at home. And if you trust me, you would have left it at home. If he left it at home and got in the car and I was like, you got your wallet? He's like, no, I left it. You know how happy I'd feel? Like, this dude, trust me. Alhamdulillah, I got you. I told you. So he's like, I don't want to go back to Allah and be like the dude that got in the car with the wallet on them. So he says, ما Muhammad محمد, محمد بِرَبِّهِ What would the dun of Muhammad be with his Lord? If he went back to his Lord with these dina'anir, please give them out right away. And he gave them out right away. The point I want you to see is that what he understood as the correct understanding of Allah was understanding all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and attributes. And for this reason, listen closely. Once you understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, and once you understand how Allah created this system of you do these deeds and what comes from them is this thing. Once a person understands that, now what is husna dhan? Husna dhan is that I do righteous deeds and expect and hope that Allah will accept and forgive me. Not that I run away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and expect something from Allah. Because that's just incorrect understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is, what he's, this is one thing he's highlighting here and he says, and we're going to conclude here, inshallah. He goes, having the correct opinion of Allah. Husna means that you also take into consideration the s- asbab, the means by which you get you get something. That is husnadan. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already explained that system to us. Um he goes forward and he explains a few more examples of this. Um, and then he talks about when people just have only dependence. Um, a, few ex- a few verses of the Quran though to bring this point home. He says in here, he says, Inna Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, wa wa those who believe, do righteous deeds and struggle. Ula'ika those are the people that should hope. Like the hope comes, the hope, and that's what we're going to talk about next week, hope. Because hope is very important. Without hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can't do anything. And this person who wrote this question about the sin they're stuck in, he has to remind them that, listen, yes, Allah's mercy is there, but you need fear too. Like a person who's addicted to something, you got to wake them up and say, you want to see your life 20 years from now? You got to really let them see fear, but then you got to show them people who have changed too and say, hey, this could be you, have hope. So there's a combination. Every believer needs both. Fear. Now the fear comes when you understand that this is the world of cause and effect. You do this, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But hope comes when you start to walk on that path and you know that Allah is watching your struggle that's when you can have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But before that, what can you hope for? Ibn Qayyim al like, it's like you're hoping for children and you didn't even get married yet. <laughs> that's what he says, like you're hoping for children. You didn't even do the shadi yet, man. You didn't even do the nikah yet. How are you going to hope for something without the asbab? That's Sua So husna dhan we're going to end here. Husna dhan with Allah is shown... By the righteous actions you do And if you are doing un, If you are stuck in sin And expect for Allah's mercy You haven't understood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You haven't understood So next week what we gotta talk about Is hope though Next week what we gotta talk about is hope Because now He's gonna tell me about these sins And the effects of them But now I need hope Because it, it's, gonna, it's gonna get depressing I'm gonna feel like I can't do it so he's going to talk about that inshallah ta'ala. Are right, any questions inshallah? Honestly like this concept of husn billah is a, is a is a, t- is a tough one. But it's all about correctly understanding who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Yes. Okay, let me give an example. I was talking to this my, to my friend like before the class. Imagine someone comes up to me and swears at my mom. Swears at my mom. And I flip. I flip on it. And after everyone pulls us apart, whatever. He's like, I had dun in you. What would you say? You got the wrong dude, yo. <laughs> you got me, we used to say you got me twisted. <laughs> you got it twisted. No, that's not husnadan. That's su'adan. You expected me not to react that way after cursing my mother in my face? Husnadan is to have the correct understanding. And the correct understanding is if you curse my mother in my face, your jaw better be pretty strong. Because I'm going to react. Because it's my mom. Right? But su'uddan is to say, I'm gonna say whatever I want, and you're just gonna smile at my face. I'll do whatever Allah, I'll, I'll go against Allah. He even says, I skipped it. He says, How do you have khusna dhan and you're at war with God? SubhanAllah, when he said it that way, I got it right away. He said, How are you having husna dhan? You're at war, you're doing a sin which you're at war with God. What hona done? That's Su done. right? So so I just wanted to bring that point home again. Ask your question one more time so I make sure I understood it. Oh, so what he says is, the more I'm doing righteousness, إلا الاحسان, the more I'm doing righteous, the more I have a better opinion of Allah. Like, as you start to do more good deeds, your hope in husn now should increase. It should increase because, yo, you're doing good. Yo, you're waking up. Allah loves that. Allah's happy with you. Da, 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 da. Your husn should increase. And as you're doing right uh, uh, sins, see, remember, let's take it back home. The point was for every action. For bringing good, there's a subub, And for bringing evil, there's a subab. He said, once you know what brings evil, stay away from it. Some people get stuck in that evil and then have done. So what he's saying is, no, that's not husnadun. Don't even call that husnadan. That's su'adan. You're misunderstanding. You're expecting me to smile at you as you curse me in my face. And that's not how things work. You're at war with God and expecting Him to love. Just say, oh, it's okay, Mikael, you're good. I love you. No, you're doing something which brings you to war with God. So khusnadana increases with the righteous deeds, right? And here's the trick though. This is what I will say just to end this, is all you have to do is just don't let yourself be self-deluded. When you're stuck in a sin, you just say, Allah, I'm in a sin. Oh, Allah, help me. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. Don't delude yourself out of it. I'm good. Allah will forgive me. I'm good. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Okay? And that makes you real with yourself. That makes you real. Like, nah, I know the rules. Okay? All right, cool. There's a question here, and then we'll stop for prayer. No one? I thought I saw a hand up over here. Yeah. Yeah. Is than him. Yes. So in this case, like I feel like... So knowledge, it's interesting. He's like, knowledge is, 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 is just as dangerous, right? Like, you know the hadith, he mentions here, I had to skip a lot because of time, right? He mentions here in this section about a person who reads SubhanAllah, wa bi hamdi, subhanAllah, 100 times. The person goes, yo, the hadith says if I read this 100 times and my sins are like the foam on the sea, I'm good to go. Yo, we out, let's go chill, let's kick it tonight. How we, yo, let's end the night with SubhanAllah, though, yo. That's how we end the night. Huh, yo. That's done. That's done right there. Yes, that hadith is for the one who's struggling on the path and, like, striving. Like, yo, I got to get better. I got to get better. I got to get better. And you're like, yo, do SubhanAllah also. Like, all right, cool. That's not for the one, yo, I'm chilling at the club all week. Right? And now I'm going to do that to top off the night? Nah. no. You're trying to play with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's su'uddan. You're at war with Allah. You're smacking me in my face, cursing my mom, and expecting me to smile at you. That's exactly what that is. Exactly what you're doing with Allah. Allah give us tawfiq. Allah give us tawfiq. Allah give us tawfiq. Allah, Allah give us a correct understanding of who He is. And, and give us hope in Him, but also fear. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give that to us. Inshallah wa akhru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil